Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink. Meaning P stands for being persistent. I stands for using your intuition. N stands for networking. And K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is December 2nd, 2015. I cannot believe that we're in December already. Where in the world did the entire year go? We're going to have a really great guest today on our show. We're going to be talking about speech therapy for children. One of the things that's so enlightening is that my particular guest, her name is Rachel Betson. She has overcome some unimaginable health issues in her life and come out on the top of those. Her passion, of course, is in helping children with their speech difficulties. She has her own private practice around speech-language therapy, and she also has reading programs. Let's bring her on to our show now. Hello, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Denise. Thanks for having me. I always like to start my show out by asking my guest, how did you get on the path that you're on today? In other words, for you, you had a lot of physical um, things to overcome via you know, car accidents and other health mm-hmm. issues. But what, what drove you onto the path of actually um, helping children with speech therapy? Well, I think that even when I was a child, I really connected with kids who are different, um, partly because I was very shy, and I had a lot of social language challenges. And as I got older um, into high school, I always knew that I wanted a job where I was working with kids. And um, I really thought that I was going to become a special education teacher. So I I, uh, took a semester off college and went and did um, special education teacher assisting. And that's when I met a speech therapist that came and did therapy for the class. And and I was in love with the field after that. Um, So I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I love being in private practice because we really can take the extra time that these kids need 
to kind of work through the barriers that they have and really help them develop to their potential. In in what situations do parents bring their children to you? I imagine every child is different. Yes, and definitely. They have different needs. Yes. Well, we have kids that come that are preschool age and school age children, elementary age as well as junior high and some high school children. So for the preschoolers, um, a lot of parents will bring them in because they either have a speech problem or they're not putting sentences together or they're not putting word phrases together if they're younger, um, trouble following directions, learning beginning academic concepts like shapes and colors and um, and then letters and numbers as they get a little older. Um, also, the way that children play um, can be a good sign that they may benefit from therapy. If a child has a really hard time playing with other children and taking turns um, and using pretend play, that's another kind of red flag. Um, and then for the school-age children, a lot of the parents will bring them in um, either because they know they have a history of speech-language issues or because they're having trouble with their reading and writing skills. So a lot of our children that have language delays or language disorders, it's more difficult um, to tell if a child has a language delay because for speech it's more obvious. You can hear it. Um, but these children are very smart and they compensate. Um, so sometimes a child's difficulty with reading can actually be the first sign of language weaknesses. Well, that's really interesting. Are mm -hmm. you finding that, um, you know, I see a, a lot of bilingual households now where um, when they're at home, the expectation is that they, they speak in their language. When they're outside mm -hmm. the home, they they practice their their English. Right. So have you seen an an uptick in students coming to you as a result? Um, not so much as a result of um, having a second language, but a lot of times that if children are struggling in both languages, then that's another red flag that there really is a language issue there. Um, and as uh -huh. far as bilingual speech-language therapy, we really look at what the child is expected, especially in school. If they're very behind in school and they're teaching mm -hmm. them in, in English, then we want to do most of the therapy in English. But also help the parent um, be able to speak with them in Spanish at home if that's what is expected at home. So, yeah. yes, we do have a lot well, of kids we have that a, are bilingual. Yeah, we have a lot. We have a pretty big influx of, of the Chinese now as well. And um, mm -hmm. they're 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 very um, proactive in taking English lessons, et cetera. At what at what age does it become more difficult for a child to transition from one language into the next? Um, as far as bilingual development, um, ideally that's going to be happening at the same time. So. Sometimes we can give parents advice about how to work with their child if uh, they do want their child to grow up to be bilingual. Um, mm -hmm. But most speech-language pathologists um, will work on the core language issues and the core speech issues, and then we'll look at what's expected of the child culturally so that we can take that into account as well, whether it is a different mm -hmm. language that they're going to be working with 
um, or different cultural expectations that the family may have. So we do try to take that into account. Um, I mentioned Spanish because most of our uh, second language children in Texas um, are Spanish speaking. But yes, I know that definitely applies to um, any other um, second language that the child is learning. Right, right. I guess um, I was just wondering if, let's just say you're an English-speaking child and then you, in junior high school they want you to start learning a second language. Um, it comes easily to some children and not so yes. much for others. Okay, What do you I suppose that is? Yeah, mm-hmm. what do you suppose well, for that children, is? Yeah, children have different strengths and weaknesses, just like adults. But we do know that uh-huh. if kids struggle more with their language than they do with other areas of child development, then those kids are going to have a more difficult time learning a second language. Um, you'll also see this with kids that have dyslexia, um, with kids that just have language comprehension and reading comprehension challenges. So sometimes mm-hmm. for these children, it will actually be at school in their IEP plan that they don't have to take a foreign language because it can be so difficult ah. for them. Interesting. They can opt out. Yes. Huh. At what at what age would you say that um, the cutoff is for being better at learning um, another language than not? In other words, when when children are very small and they mm-hmm. and they um, are you know they're not having any issues with their current language. Um, a lot of times, what at three years old, four years old, five years old, they can learn a second language very easily. It has something to do with the brain. Yes, yes. So the earlier that a child is exposed to another language, the more easily, typically, the more easily they're able to integrate that as their brain is developing. And mm-hmm. it does get a little bit harder for us to do that as it, as we get older. Um, so children um, tend to have more of what they call neuroplasticity, so the ability to have your brain adapt. Um, however, we're finding that even as we grow, our brain is able to um, change and adapt. Like, for example, if a person becomes blind, and um, when I was sick, I didn't know how much visual function I would have. So I actually learned Braille when I was sick. And we know that, um, right, so people that lose visual function and learn Braille, we know that motorically what's happening with their fingers, now that information is going to the back of the brain where the visual cortex is. So that's taking over what they would have done before with their reading. So, yeah, even as adults, yeah, our brains can be malleable, and we're able to learn lots of new things as adults. We might have to be a little stubborn to get there, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yes, we can get there. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Now, do um, do you go to people's homes to help children, or do they mostly come to you? In our setting, we're a private practice clinic, so we at this time we don't do home health. Um, uh-huh. I think home health is often more available than private practice clinic, but the experiences can really vary depending on sure. um, who is coming out and then also just on what the child needs child needs are. 
So, yeah, mm-hmm. we only have a clinic location. What what um, cases do you find the most challenging? Typically, words, there are the different degrees of, of, you know, speech impediment with, with kids. Right. Um, <clears throat> so for our younger kids, the children that are nonverbal, for the younger mm-hmm. kids, those are the ones that <clears throat> we really struggle with. And the ones that we also do more experimentation with to see if we can get them to use sign language or get them to approximate words and then work with that as they're getting their additional speech sounds in. Sometimes we'll try to experiment with having a communication board with pictures so that they're able to communicate some of their basic wants and needs. Um, With young Mm -hmm. children, you really want to help manage communication breakdowns. So um, looking at ways to do that, even when the kid doesn't have a lot of uh, verbal language, is important. For our older children, um, I think the most challenging ones are are the kids that are really behind. Um, we'll have fourth and fifth graders come to us reading on a first grade level, and that's just painful. And you know that there's Aww. a lot in school that they're missing out on. It Aww. doesn't mean that they can't catch up, you know, with the right kinds of interventions, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's just a lot more difficult to have older kids come in that are that are so behind. Um but these are what, also uh, some of the why, most why rewarding. Have, well I'm kinda I'm kinda curious when they're in the school system why the school system hasn't identified them as being on a first grade level once they you know, when they're at the fourth and fifth grade. Right. Sometimes they have and they're already in special education. We've had ah, a few okay. cases where um the child that really should be in special education because they're not getting enough support to have passing grades. Um, So unfortunately, um, speech therapists and the schools are amazing. I will tip my hat to them all day long because they are, yeah, they do not have enough resources for the number of children that they Uh, have to serve. So the speech yeah. therapists in schools, they really have to do group therapy for most of their clients, oh. um, usually in 30-minute sessions, maybe only once a week. Um, so it's oh, just much more enough. difficult. And then sure. also um, a lot of times parents have told us that they've asked the school to do testing with their child to see if they would qualify for special education. And sometimes they have to really ask and ask over and over again. Um, So we can help them put that in writing. And Mm -hmm. we also do standardized reading testing for the kids that um, would benefit from us knowing what their reading is. And then parents can Mm -hmm. take that to the school district or to the school, and it helps them advocate for their child because now the school has something that's documenting that they're behind with the reading, and it's something that they have to respond to. So we've had fairly good success with um, having the schools give the children more help when that's what they really need to be successful. Hmm. So if it's okay, um, the way that I like to think about speech and language challenges, um, it goes Mm -hmm. from toddlerhood all the way through adulthood and the kinds of challenges that they have um, at each stage and how they can build on each other. 
So Mm -hmm. if you want to, at some point, if we want to go through that, I think it's really interesting to look at it kind of from a big picture perspective. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So for toddlers, um, a lot of our toddlers um, will diagnose them with a language delay. If we have a two-year-old that's only saying a few words, um, then we would say that's a language delay. Or if they have higher understanding than their expressive output, we would call it a disorder. So at toddlers, at that age, we are already seeing that they have communication breakdowns. And they'll have, you know, what we call tantrums, right? So part of that is because of the communication issue. And another thing that happens with toddlers that I don't think is very well recognized is that even from very early on, other children will ignore their peers who are not talking or whose speech that they can't understand. And I've seen this happen in toddler daycare classes And um, when I was in graduate school to become a speech-language therapist, I worked as a preschool teacher part-time. And I had several kids in the class that were special needs. And we also saw the same thing, that um, the other children ignored them. And we really had to teach them how to be friends with somebody who's different. So at the preschool and kindergarten level, um, we're going to see that they have some of those social conflicts because the kids are not interacting with them. So they're going to have more trouble Uh making friends. And then they are also going to have a higher risk of learning problems. So when we have preschool and kindergarten students, um, when we discharge them or even when they're in therapy, I like to tell the parents to keep an eye on their their reading and writing development um, because they are at a higher risk for having learning problems. So, and another thing about kids that are in kindergarten, so we know that of the kids that are in kindergarten, there's going to be a certain percentage of them that don't have those readiness skills when they start kindergarten. And part of that percentage, those are the children that are not ever going to catch up. So they're going to go through their whole academic career um, being behind. So when they move into elementary school, you know, the social challenges get even more difficult. They may have more emotional problems. Um, And then, again, struggling with the higher literacy levels. And a lot of our children have that overlap of ADHD with the language and learning trouble. And -hmm. one thing about ADHD that we're figuring out is that these children go through their entire lives thinking that their teachers don't like them because they can use frustration for um, anger and acting out at them. And and I can understand how that happens. You know, because uh-huh, teachers uh-huh. do get frustrated. They have a whole class to teach. And if, you know, if they're alienating the people in their lives, the teachers, you know, if they feel alienated from their teachers, then, then they're not going to be able to get the support that they need from those teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a really a sad thing. Like I could hear that emotion in you too. So I tell my kids, all my kids that have ADHD, you don't think that your teachers don't like you. They're frustrated, you know, and I can understand why they're frustrated. Um, but they're also at high risk for getting into trouble just because they're struggling. And at mm-hmm. some point in their lives, um, 
once children have experienced so much academic failure, then I really think that they they feel like their choices are very limited, and they can be seen as stupid, or they can be seen as being a tough kid, and nobody wants mm. to be thought of as stupid. That's difficult. Yeah. yeah. So I think well, even well, in know, junior high and high school, we see more wow. acting out. I recently I recently learned that um, preschoolers up till fourth grade they they haven't developed their cognitive processing skills mm-hmm. to to a level uh and and particularly in their communication that say a fifth grader has the ability to to do so i could see how how these children would really have a tough time in the school right. environment well it the story doesn't end there unfortunately um so for some of those kids that they do start acting out more, they're going to be at higher risk for um, interacting with juvenile detention. And the American Speech-Language Hearing Association, which is the national organization for our field, um, they've given us numbers that up to 84% of those kids in juvenile detention have speech or language communication problems. So those are those kids that were in kindergarten that didn't ever catch up. And then once they reach adulthood, if they've been in juvenile detention, they have a higher risk for recidivism, for going back to jail. And we know that those there's 70% of the adults that are in jail read at the lowest literacy levels. So it stays with them through junior high, high school, and adulthood um, so we have to be early intervention focused, and I think we really are, but we also have to look at the kids that have already fallen through the cracks, and I don't want to leave them there. You know, I want to try to pull them back up. So I think speech therapists need to be um, a little bit more active as far as those kids that have already fallen through the cracks and helping them, you know, become successful again in their lives. That is really great information, Rachel. Very, very valuable to our listeners. Listeners, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Rachel Benson. She is a speech-language pathologist. She has her master's degree in it. And um, we also have some really great news to share with you. Rachel, why don't you tell them the award that you just won? Yes, we actually just found out today that we won um, a patient's... uh, yeah, a Patient's Choice Award for Speech-Language Pathologist Providers in the Dallas area. And it was given mm. by Open Care. Fantastic. Just fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. What does a typical evalu- evaluation or session look like when uh, a parent brings their child in to see you? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the first well, step? Oh, Okay. So I'll tell you um, first what we do at our clinic, and then I can give you a little bit of uh, variations for other settings, um, if that would be helpful. Um, So when they come to us, we do have the option of doing a free screening. So we'll take 30 minutes of our time, and they can come in and meet with one of the speech-language pathologists, do like a mini test. So it just looks at some of the speech sounds and a couple of language issues, which varies by age. And then 
speak with the speech language pathologist. So this will help the parents um, come and get to know us and be familiar with us. And some of the insurances that we accept, they want us to have a doctor's um, information or signature on file for the evaluation. So that's also why we do free screenings. So when we have the child come for the full evaluation, um, it can take between an hour to an hour and a half or full two hours. It just depends. And we do pretty extensive speech and language testing. Um, If the child doesn't have any speech errors, we can do informal, so we can spend more time looking at their language skills. So we look at eight different areas of language development on the language test that we do. And then after we complete that, all of our evaluations are peer-reviewed. So even the evals that I write, I want one of our other SLPs to read that just to make sure that I'm explaining things in a way that's easy to understand and to catch our typos and anything we may have missed. And then after we get the evaluation written, um, we may have to send it to insurance to get approval. Um, That just depends. We also accept private pay, and we have a sliding scale for families, so we try to be as affordable as we can. Um, And then once the child starts therapy, so what's really important to do is to set the stage for success. So when they come to our clinic, it's a comfortable setting. It doesn't look like a school. It doesn't look like a hospital. It's somewhere where they can come and feel comfortable when when we're asking them to do things that could be really difficult, right? So for the evaluation consult, I'll go through the assessment. I'll explain what their weaknesses are, but I also talk about what the child's strengths are. So one of the things that we say that's kind of our little motto is that we help children accept their gifts as well as develop tools and skills needed for success. So it's um, maybe a little bit way to, a different way of thinking about things, but in our challenges, we have the opportunity to have gifts, something that I learned when I was sick. <laughs> so my, I use my um, time of illness as a way to better connect with the kids. You know, when I was learning Braille, you know, I come across a hard word, takes me a while to figure out what it is, and then I completely forget what the the whole sentence was about. So I have to reread it. So I can relate to children that struggle sure. with reading. Definitely. So when they start therapy, they all have individual goals that are based on the evaluation. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a very individualized way of working with a child. It's mm-hmm. different from going to tutoring or um, extra classes, because with tutoring, um, they're just trying to give the child more information and more practice in the areas where they're behind. And with therapy, we want to change the way a child processes language and to help them Ah. fill in those gaps that they have in their language hierarchy. So, And the other difference with therapy is that everything we do, especially with reading, is multisensory. So we will have the kids check what they feel. This is especially for kids with decoding issues or figuring out how to sound out words. We'll have them learn how to check what they feel in their own mouth. So they're using their own speech production as a cue 
and then they connect that with what it looks like, what it sounds like, oh. and then what letter represents that sound. So it helps that them put it very all together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because everybody learns differently. Yes. Another thing I love to tell my kids is that part of why they're struggling is because they have some differences in their brain. But that is also why they are amazing. So most people, if you look at the left and right hemisphere of the brain, most people have about 10% more brain on the left side. That's our language area, our reasoning. But kids that have dyslexia and some language challenges, both sides of their brain are the same side. So I tell kids, you have more brain. How cool is that? That's probably why you have all these talents, why you have these natural gifts, because you have more brain. You can think about things in a different way, which is very valuable for society to have people who can uh-huh. think outside the box. Another, oh, of course. Of course. I'm sorry, another really important part of therapy is the zone of proximal development. Um, and for people that aren't familiar with that, I know it's not a common household term, <laughs> the zone of proximal no. development, um, that refers to what the child can do with help. So on the inside, if you think about it as a circle that has three layers, on the inside you would have what the child can do independently. And then the next layer of that would be what the child can do with help, and that's where we mm-hmm. work. And then the outside layer would be what the child cannot do even without help. So we don't want to give ah. them something that's way too hard, that they're like, wow, mm-hmm. I really can't do this, even though they're helping me. We don't want to discourage them doing that. And it's better therapy if we can work right in that zone. So the best speech-language therapists are the ones that are good at figuring out exactly where kids are in the zone for whatever Mm -hmm. skill, whatever speech skill, Mm -hmm. whatever language skill, whatever reading and writing skill we're working on, and then help them build that so their circle of what they can do with help will get bigger and bigger but what they can do independently is also growing at the same time. Mm. Tricky. Yes. Very, very tricky. <laughs> yes. But parents can do this with um, schoolwork and, and homework too. Um, if you are going to do reading with your child, or um, a lot of schools will want them to have reading logs of what they do at home, um, mm-hmm. the librarians can actually help you figure out, and the child's teacher too, can help you figure out where they are with their best reading level to where they can do it with some help, but not too frustrating. Oh. Yes. Well, that's that's nice to know. Yes, nice and teachers have gotten really good at zone approximal development. I mean, they know the kids that are going to need more help um, with certain concepts that they're teaching. Um, so teachers do it all the time without even thinking about it when they're helping their mm-hmm. kids. Yes. Why don't you talk about your whole child intervention therapy? Ah, I love to talk about that. (laughs) Okay. I just want to make sure it's different from what we've been talking about. um, Well, there's a couple other elements that we can bring in. Um, Okay. So when I first started our private practice um, and I was thinking about whole child intervention, I really thought about school which is important. We want the child to be able to to succeed at home and to succeed at school. 
So that's where we um, really worked on the reading and writing with the language therapy. And that is part of what speech-language pathologists do anyway. So it really made sense for us to further develop in that area. But now that I've been doing this um, for a while, I'm starting to realize that whole child intervention is much more broad than just being successful academically. We have kids that come in that have emotional challenges. We have children that have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder from trauma. Um, We have children that have anxiety, anxiety about school. I've had kids tell me they have anxiety about learning. And these kids have experienced a lot of failure. Um, So we really have to think about whole child intervention as being more broad, right? So what we do for the kids that are struggling academically is we'll help them with the, the reading and writing Part and help them connect that with um, their with the language that they're already working on in therapy, so that it can kind of carry over in that way. And the ways that we're working with kids that have the social emotional challenges, um, we have looked at some of the curriculums for that. One of them is called Mind Up, which I love that curriculum. I use a lot of information from that. So we teach kids that um, that when they have a strong emotional response, either by getting upset or sometimes even anxiety or even a very strong positive emotional response, then um, but especially a, a negative response, you know, we tell them that part of their brain called the amygdala is getting over flooded. And there's a fabulous uh, little school in our area called the Momentous Institute. And what they have done is gotten glitter balls and used that as a concept for showing kids the glitter ball and shaking it up and saying, when you are all shaken up, these are all your thoughts, these are all your strong emotions, but you can't see through it. You can't see through the ball. You can't see through the glitter because it's all over the place. So you have to let it settle. And Momentous Institute actually created an app. It's a free app. It's called Settle Your Glitter. And it walks kids through mindful breathing. So they shake it up, they watch the glitter, and then they have a little puffer fish. And as the puffer fish gets big, bigger, they breathe in. As it gets smaller, they breathe out. So they're walking them through putting their um, all of their negative emotional thoughts into that glitter and then letting it settle. So we tell kids once they settle, then they can see more clearly, then they can make decisions. So then they're able to respond instead of react. So this helps them not just, you know, to be calmer when they come to therapy. If they're having a bad day, you know, I'll pull out the glitter ball or the Settle Your Glitter app. But because oh, we're wonderful. helping them, yeah, because we're helping them work through their social emotional barriers. Um, a positive thing is that these kids seem to be making better progress, or they're making progress more quickly because they're starting to learn how to move through some of the barriers mm-hmm. that they've had that have been mm-hmm. real challenging. What a wonderful example! Just a great example. 
I think adults could use the glitter ball too. <laughs> oh yeah, we do. We we have our therapist around here. They're like, oh, I just need to settle my glitter. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll hand them the glitter ball. <laughs> so that that we hear that around our office. We probably, yes. Dial yeah, language services. You'll hear the therapist say, settle my glitter. <laughs> Exactly. We need it more, <laughs> more so. Yes. Yeah, because we need to be available for the children that we're working with. Yeah, and uh-huh. we can't do that uh-huh. as well if we have our glitter all over the place. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it gives us a little bit more self-awareness as well. <laughs> oh, that's just wonderful. So how would you recommend our listeners advocate, you know, to support children who might benefit from, um, you know, a speech language or academic support regime? Well, there's lots of ways you can um, go about it. I think um, just being aware of some of those red flags is Mm -hmm. a good starting place. So if Mm -hmm. you um, have a family member or friends that have children, that are really struggling, mm-hmm. um, you know, parents can, or friends can bring up to the parents, um, you know, maybe that there's some underlying language issues, or what would you mm-hmm. think about having the school work with them? And mm-hmm. that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, is resources that are oh, okay. available nationwide. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So that. for children that are um, age birth to three years old, they can get um, affordable therapy through the early childhood intervention, and that's nationwide. Um, and they do take insurance, and I believe they have sliding scale. At least I know here in Texas they do. Um, so that's available for them. And then once they are older than three, then the parent can go to the school district if they would like to do that, receive therapy there. Also, so at the school district, they can get therapy without cost. So um, even if they're not at that school, even if the child is homeschooled, the parents should be able to take them to the the school district or the closest school or wherever they send them in the district um, to have services done. So um, in addition to that, um, parents can also seek other therapy options. Um, a lot of insurances will cover speech-language therapy, um, and there are a few clinics, private practices like our DRLS that will do sliding scale for private pay families. Um, so that's also an option. Well, that's, 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 uh, that's really great. That's really yeah. great to know. And then just encouraging well, um, the children because, I mean, this is really um, – hard for our kids to work with and it, it's heartbreaking to see how many of these children really don't think that they're smart really don't think that mm-hmm. they're going to have success um, in school or even as an adult um, so reminding kids that I know you're really struggling now but that doesn't mean that you have to be limited with your choices as you grow up you know there are there are options. You can get help. We can help you work mm-hmm. through this. Mm-hmm. Um, but just encouraging kids, telling them what they're good at, you know, helping them develop their talents, which a lot of them have. 
um, all of that can can help turn around um, kids who are really struggling. Do you think because we've become, you know, with our technology more computer-based society, that those individuals with reading disabilities are having a harder time now than before? I think it's possible. Um, I'm not sure about uh, the research in that area, so I can't give you a definitive answer. Um, but what we know about language development and how children naturally mm-hmm. develop language is through exposure and interaction. So just exposure by itself um, will help, and kids can definitely pick up on parts of language just from being exposed to it. But really to develop language, it really depends a lot on the interaction between okay. other communicating, other other people that they need to communicate with in their day-to-day life. Interesting. It's yeah. a fascinating um, field that you're in, and you're doing such a wonderful service to our youth, really. I commend you for that. Thank you. Well, I will tell you, um, part of my long, long-term plan um, is that I would like to take our speech-language pathologists into the juvenile justice system and work with them, not just with communication issues, but also with reading and writing skills. Um, And reading and writing are, we didn't really talk about this, but reading and writing are language skills, um, and it is Mm -hmm. within our scope of practice to address that. However, the way that we do reading and writing that is so integrated and really focuses on exactly what they need with that skill, I think we can um, really help some kids in juvenile detention. And then long term, um, I would like to develop a program that would allow any SLP in the nation to be able to use the resources that are already available to us through our national Mm -hmm. organization to go into the juvenile justice system in their area. I really think that long-term, our speech-language pathologists need to play a larger role in helping these kids that, you know, are in trouble, that have the odds stacked against them. Well, and especially with the um, statistics that you gave to us earlier. Yes, yes. And it's gotten worse. Um, When I first became a speech-language pathologist in 2004, um, the statistics were in the 70s, like 75% of kids in juvenile detention had communication disorders, and now it's gone up to 83. Um, So over time, it's it's gotten worse, not better. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would hate to see that trajectory continue. Um, So... Right now we're really no, building a private practice so that we can have a good stable base to work from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that is part of my long-term plan um, is to Excellent. do more direct Excellent. work with these kids. I'm, I'm so glad you have that vision, Yeah, truly. Is there anything else you'd like to cover before um, we have to go? I definitely want you to give the name of your clinic and where you're located, your phone number, and your contact information so the listeners have it. Okay, sure. Yes, um, our clinic is called Dallas Reading and Language Services, 
and we are located in Dallas, Texas. And um, <clears throat> our did you want our um, contact information? Our website yes. is yes. Speech yes. Therapy Dallas is our main website, and I can be reached via email at r betson r b e t z e n at dallasreading.com. Dallas Reading is another one of our websites. And we also have a website for children that are younger that's called preliteracy.com. And on that website, I have um, speech cue cards. It's a system that I developed. Um, I use it for kids that are younger, really, that have speech problems, or we can also use it to help kids learn how to read. So you can download that on preliteracy.com. And the uh, phone number for our clinic is 214-646-1570. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rachel Benson, for being with us today. Really You're enjoyed welcome. talking Thank with you. you. It was an extremely informative show. And listeners, if you weren't able to tune in for the entire show, this does go into podcasts. You can get it off of iTunes and it will also remain on Blog Talk Radio's website. Thank you again, Rachel. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, listeners, that wraps it up for today. Please tune in again next Wednesday for another really informative show. Until then, be safe and be well. Bye-bye for now. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.